We're back at the midweeks. And I'm really glad you're here. We're going to be continuing the saga of David. And this is a really great story where David meets Abigail, who's going to be a future wife. And it's a great story. It is uh, kind of a day in the life of David on the run. And it's got this beautiful story of Abigail, who is a woman of great wisdom. And it also is a picture of the sovereignty of God over David's life in uh, protecting him. So we're going to just walk through this. It's a longer story, so I'm going to try to keep a pretty quick pace through this. But I want you just to see um, what's going on in this story and how kind of this day-in-the-life story of David works together with this larger picture of how God is establishing this kingdom for David. He's the second king of Israel. And he's a different kind of king, and he's the kind of king that is protected by God. Verse 20, sorry, verse 1 of chapter 25. Now Samuel died, and all Israel assembled and mourned for him, but they buried him in the house, and they buried him in his house at Ramah. Okay, so we've got a big transition from the last story. And they're just plunking in here that Samuel's died. So it's chronologically accurate, but also a few chapters later, when Saul is summoning Samuel with the necromancer, we'll have this information that Samuel has died here to let us know. So there's some foreshadowing of future events here. And so this big national event has happened where they're mourning Samuel It's the end of an era, and I think it's also preparing us for this change of leadership because very soon Saul is also going to die, and so you have this generation passing, this first generation, Samuel, who anointed Saul and David. He's passed away. Saul is soon going to pass away, and by the time 2 Samuel starts, it's just going to be the age of David. Then David rose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. Okay, so we went from Samuel happening, very broad picture of all of Israel. Now we focused in on David again. And now we're going to meet Nabal and his wife Abigail. So we've got another scene change here, okay? And there was a man in Moan whose business was in Carmel. The man was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats, and he was shearing his sheep in Carmel. Now the name of the man was Nabal, and the name of his wife was Abigail. The woman was discerning and beautiful, but the man was harsh and badly behaved, and he was a Calebite. Okay, so we've got now all the introduction for this scene. We've met Nabal and Abigail. We know their character. This is actually a very interesting story because usually the Bible won't tell you about people's characters so quickly. Usually it will just show you by telling the story and you have to infer their character. But in this case, there is a reason to kind of introduce the characters right into their hearts before we even get started in the story. But one of the things is that this is a teaching lesson. So we know Nabal, we know Abigail, we know what God thinks of them. One's a fool and harsh and one is uh, discerning. And so we're going to get to see these things in action, which actually helps to educate the people of God. David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep. Okay. So David sent ten young men, and David said to the young men, Go up to Carmel and go to Nabal and greet him in my name. 
and thus you shall greet him. Peace be to you, and peace to your house, and peace to all that you have. I hear that you have shearers. Now your shepherds have been with us, and we did them no harm, and they missed nothing all the time that they were in Carmel. Ask your young men, and they will tell you. Therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we come on a feast day. Please give whatever you have at hand to your servants and to your son David. Okay, so what you can notice here is that this is a very long speech. So David is putting words in the mouth of his messengers. They didn't have texting or email back then. So when you wanted to send a long distance message, you would teach your messengers what to say, and then you'd send them off. And I think, you know, whenever you get this long speech block, usually it's meant to do lots of work. And so you see here that David as well as is a man of wisdom, and he's speaking very humbly and diplomatically to Nabal. And his point is, remember, Nabal is from Moan, but his sheep were in Carmel. So there's a bit of a uh, distance from where Nabal is to Carmel. David is in Carmel, um, near the, sh- the the herds. And as you can imagine, between thieves and wild animals, herd moving could just be cl- costly, just have a high cost of doing business. And so what's happened is David has, um, he's been a shepherd to the shepherds. He's been protecting the flocks and he's been doing them good. And now that it's kind of harvest time with the sheep, he's asking for some kind of gracious compensation. And so we're going to see how this unfolds. But I think this large speech block here is meant to reveal David's heart as a man of wisdom, speaking diplomatically to Nabal. When David's young men came, they said all this to Nabal in the name of David, and then they waited. So you can see them coming to a house. They speak to Nabal. And now they're, maybe they speak to Nabal's servants or something, and they take this to Nabal. Nabal thinks about it, and he has this harsh response. And remember, we're prepared to hear a harsh response because we've been told by the prophet that Nabal was uh, harsh. Who is David and who is the son of Jesse? This almost reminds me of when Pharaoh said, who's the Lord? When Moses comes to him, who's the Lord Uh, that I should let the Israelites go? Who is David? Who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants these days who are breaking away from their masters. So this is a dig at the fact that Saul is king and David, you know, was the servant and now he's on the run. So this is a big insult. And he's like, boy, there's a lot of criminals out there these days or something like that. So it's a big deal. Very harsh. Shall I take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shearers and give it to men who come from I do not know where? Okay, so he he's just emphasizing his own possession, saying you guys might even be liars. Who even knows if you're serving David? Very, very rude. Verse 12. So David's young men turned away and came back and told him all this. And David said to his men, every man strap on his sword. And every man of them strapped on his sword, and David also strapped on his sword. And about 400 men went up after David, while 200 remained with the baggage. All right, so they're going to explain this a bit more, but essentially David loses it here. This is this is the straw that broke the camel's back. In the last story, we see David being um, self-controlled. He feels bad even that he cut the corner of Saul's garment. And, but this is that moment where one thing too many has happened. And this insult from Nabal really just sets David off. And he's ready to go ballistic. He, this is David going ballistic. But one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, Behold, David sent messengers out of the wilderness to greet our master, and he railed at them. Yet the men were very good to us, and we suffered no harm, and we did not miss anything when we were in the fields as long as we went with them. 
They were a wall to us by night, both by day and by night, all the while we were with them keeping the sheep. Now therefore know this, and consider what you should do, for harm is determined against our master, against all his house, and he is such a worthless man that one cannot speak to him. So this is really interesting. This is just one of the young men. It's one of the servants. And he goes to Abigail. So this servant understands how his house works. He knows that the master is no good, but he knows that the master's wife is a person of wisdom. And he sees this threat coming. This is one of the things about wisdom is that you're able to see a problem in advance and then plan against it. And so even this young man is quite wise. And obviously he was one of the shepherds or the shepherd helpers because he knows that it's true that David protect them. And I even think in verse 16 where it says, he was a wall to us both day and by night. That reminds me of the pillar of cloud of God's presence with Israel when they're out in the wilderness. You know, the fi- fire by night. He was the pillar of cloud by day and the fire by night. It, there, there is almost this like hinting that David was the presence of God to these shepherds. But he's a shepherd to the shepherds and he really did protect them and did them good. And so the young man agrees with David that he has some claim to hospitality from Nabal. And so the servant urges Abigail to do something because she can't trust her husband to do anything. They are a mismatched couple, but he calls on her to do something like we we could all die here. And it's interesting that he says that um, harm is determined against our master. So he knows that his master's poor character, even though he's rich, his poor character puts in jeopardy everything he has as well as everyone who belongs to him. Verse 18, then Abigail made haste and took 200 loaves and two skins of wine and five sheep already prepared and five seas of parched grain and a hundred clusters of raisins and 200 cakes of figs and laid them on donkeys. It's really interesting that they lay out all the different kinds of food here and don't just say took a bunch of food. It actually lays out all this stuff. So it gives you a sense of how much food she's bringing as well as different kinds. So she's really trying to bring um a persuasive food offering. And I think especially when it comes to talking about the raisins and the cakes of figs, these are quite rare delicacies. So she is cleaning out the cupboards and she's bringing the best that she has, I would think, for this this catastrophe, to avert this catastrophe. Verse 19, And she said to her young man, Go on before me. Behold, I come after you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. So you need to know that for later when Nabal gets surprised that Abigail's doing this all on her own initiative. Verse 20, as she rode on the donkey and came down under cover of the mountain, behold, David and his men came down towards her and she met them. So the story is now following Abigail as she rides out to meet with David. Now David had said, surely in vain have I guarded all that this fellow has in the wilderness so that nothing was missing of all that belonged to him and he has returned me evil for good. Okay, so you can hear they've saved David's uh motivation till now before we knew he strapped on the sword but now we're learning david's heart and motivation so it maybe it's even as we follow the story abigail can see that david has murder on his mind she meets him and she can kind of see this guy's gone limbic you know he's really uh, not 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 walking in this fruit of the spirit right now Verse 22, David still speaking, God do so to to the enemies of David and more also if by morning I leave so much as one male of all who belong to him. So he's, you know, kind of promised himself he's going to wipe these people out. And it's interesting in the Hebrew, it, it doesn't say one male. It means one who, one person who 
urinates against the wall. So if there's even this crassness of how he talks, he doesn't say, I'm not going to leave one male. He says, I'm not going to leave one wall pisser of all who belongs to him. So he's really, you know, even his speech, he was so gracious to start off with, but now he's using these crass words. And so you see that David's heart's being revealed through his speech and uh, he's, he's ready to go. And that's not a good thing. And so here comes Abigail. Um, God's kindness is coming to him in the wisdom of a woman to rescue him. When Abigail saw David, she hurried and got down from the donkey, which is a sign of humility. So she's not going to meet David as a peer from on donkey to donkey or whatever, or be over him riding a donkey as he walks. She gets down off her donkey, it says, and fell before David on her face and bowed to the ground. So she starts off with just uh, humility. And she fell at his feet and said, On me alone, my lord, be the guilt. Please let your servant speak in your ears and hear the words of your servant. Let not my lord regard this worthless fellow Nabal, for as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. But I, your servant, did not see the young men of my lord, whom you sent. So this is really interesting. So she starts off by taking responsibility. Now, really, her husband should be the one taking the most responsibility for the home. But she comes and she rightfully throws her husband under the bus. And I think she's saying this because she understands David needs some kind of acknowledgement of the wrong that's been done to him. And so by saying, my husband, Nabal means fool. And by saying he's living up to his name, he is a fool. She's she's beginning the confession of guilt to him. And she wants to take responsibility for it. So she's being very wise. She confesses that a wrong has been done and she wants to take responsibility for it. And she even as much says, like, I should have been there to catch your servants as I wa- and I wasn't. So I don't know if that's fair, but it, like altogether, but she wants to take responsibility as a way of um, helping David. Verse 26, now then, my Lord, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, because the Lord has restrained you from blood guilt and from saving with your own hand, now then let your enemies and those who seek to do evil to my Lord be as Nabal. And now let this present that your servant has brought to me be given to the young men who follow my Lord. Please forgive the trespass of your servant, for the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house, because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord, and evil shall not be found in you as long as you live. Okay, so she's starting to make this appeal to him. She's saying, you know, she she's telling him, God has restrained you. Now, he hasn't yet, but she's giving him a way out. She's giving him a God-centered perspective on what's going on here. So you can see her wisdom in action. First, she starts off and she humbles herself. She takes this humble posture. Then she takes this humble speech, wanting to take responsibility. Then she acknowledges that a wrong's been done by saying Nabal has been a fool. And then she starts bringing David back to sanity by talking about the Lord. As the Lord lives, as your soul lives, and the Lord has restrained you from blood guilt. So she's saying, you know, if you had gone and killed everybody, that wouldn't have been just, even though you're insulted, that would have been murder. And it would have been a lot more like Saul. Do you remember a few chapters ago, Saul killed all the high priests because David came and got some food there. So we have this echo. We have this echo where Saul felt um, betrayed by David, even though he wasn't. And so he went and wiped out the high priest's city, um, which was blood guilt and wrong. And David is about to do something similar here. And Abigail is appealing in the name of God to rescue him. And that's what's going to happen. And then she offers this present 
and she even calls her own uh, actions a trespass. And then let's see here. Verse 29, if men rise up to pursue you and seek your life, the life of my Lord shall be bound in a bundle of the living of the living in the care of the Lord your God and the lives of your enemies. Excuse me. And the lives of your enemies he shall sling out as from the hollow of a sling. And when the Lord has done to my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you and has appointed you prince over Israel, my Lord shall have no cause of grief or pangs of conscience for having shed blood without cause or for my Lord working salvation himself. And when the Lord has dealt well with my Lord, then remember your servant. So what she's saying here is, you know, if you avoid doing this thing, then God is going to keep protecting you and keep treating your life as precious. And he's going to establish his promises. So she has faith in the promises of God for David's life and saying, you know, when God is fulfilled making you a king, then you won't be sitting around going, oh, I really shouldn't have done that. So she's rescuing him. And then she says at the very end, you know, once you've come into your kingdom, remember your servant. And so that actually sounds a lot like the thief on the cross when Jesus is crucified. He says, when you come into your kingdom, remember your servant. All right. So in verse 32, David responds. And David said to Abigail, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you this day to me. So he does agree with her. He sees the hand of God on his life through her coming. Blessed be your discretion and blessed be you who have kept me this day from blood guilt and from the working of salvation with my own hand. And so he acknowledges that she's right. She's completely read the situation right and her actions have averted this crisis. For surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, who has restrained me from hurting you, unless you had hurried to me to meet me, truly by morning there would be not left to Nabal as much as one male. Then David received from her hand what she had brought him and he said to her, go up in peace to your house. See, I have obeyed your voice and I have granted your petition. So this is really good. He is grateful for her. He sees God working in her and he honors her by saying, I'm going to listen to you and I've obeyed your voice. So this is really great, right? He's, he's really giving her great honor as a wise woman by saying, I'll do what you say. Verse 36, and Abigail came to Nabal and behold, he was holding a feast in his house, like the feast of a king. So he thinks he's like a mini Saul. And Nabal's heart was merry within him, for he was very drunk. So she told him nothing at all until that night. Sorry, until the morning light. In the morning, when the wine had gone out of Nabal, so he sobered up, his wife told him these things, and his heart died within him, and he became as a stone. And about ten days later, the Lord struck Nabal, and he died. So she comes home. Nabal is living his best life. But when she tells him in the morning, you know, can you just imagine that conversation? Hey, hon, how's it going? Oh, I've got such a headache. Yeah, yeah, I bet you did. You know what would have been worse than having a headache, though? Well, what's that? Well, David coming and killing you. What do you mean? Well, I went out yesterday, gave David some food, and he was on his way here to kill everybody in our house. And he essentially has like a stroke or a heart attack. And then 10 days later, finally passes away. And the scriptures say that it was the Lord did it. The Lord struck Nabal. And so there's a divine vengeance in here on behalf of David. Verse 39, when David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Blessed be the Lord who has avenged the insult I received at the hand of Nabal and has kept back his servant from wrongdoing. The Lord has returned the evil of Nabal on his own head. Then David sent and spoke to Abigail to take her as his wife. So David sees the hand of God in this, and there's kind of this promise that David should keep enduring in suffering wickedness from Saul because God is going to protect him. 
protected him and honored him with Nabal and will do the same with Saul. And he wants to, remember, Abigail said, remember your servant when you become a king, while David is ready to remember her now that she's available. Verse 40, when the servants of David came to get Abigail at Carmel, they said to her, David has sent us to take you to him as his wife. So it's pretty forward and bold, but she's a, a widow now. And David wants this kind of uh, woman in his house. 41. And she rose and bowed with her face to the ground and said, Behold, your handmaid is a servant to wash the feet of the servants of my Lord. And Abigail hurried and rose and mounted a donkey, and her five young women attended her, and she followed the messengers of David and became his wife. So she's quite wealthy with five servants, but she's gone to go and live with David. David also took Ahinoam of Jezreel, and both of them became his wives. And Saul had given Michal, his daughter, David's wife, to Palti, the son of Laish, who was of Galam. So with Abigail returning to David, so here's this, this great reward. So Abigail actually needed rescuing from her terrible husband. And God did that through her wisdom. He, he exalted her from being the wife of a fool to being the wife of a future king. And she did, he did it through not machinations, not manipulation, but through discretion and wisdom on behalf of her household with faith in the promises of God, right? She believes in the promise of David. She acts to protect her household. She approaches him with wise speech and humility, and God rescues her from Nabal through these events. And she also blesses David, who needs a rescuing, right? He's been on the run. He... His wife is left behind with Saul and David by, uh, because of his faithfulness to the shepherds and protecting them and because of his willingness to listen to this wise woman, he is blessed by having a beautiful and wise woman for his wife. Now, I know he has a second wife here, which isn't great and maybe even hints a little bit at the trouble he's going to have with Bathsheba later on. Um, now, but very complicated, and I'm not blessing polygamy at all here. But when you just take the story as written, these are the dynamics going on here. So overall, this is God rescuing David from his own uh, lapse of judgment, exalting discretion, favoring this wise woman, Abigail, and rescuing David from um, having a kingdom built on blood like Saul's was. And uh, instead showing us what a true kingdom of God is meant to be, a king who is righteous and good, but also knows how to wait for God to act on his behalf. God bless.